My word that I have that kept coming to mind was glory. God will get the glory. He is a selfish and just God, and He allows things to happen to us for His glory if He can see that He's going to be glorified through it. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story that is long, long in the making. (laughs) We met with Mivy several years ago now, I think two years ago, and asked her to share her story. And you're going to hear in the beginning of her story that the timing was not right and she was not ready. And then a long time later, she came back in December and said, I think I'm ready to share my story. And we're so thankful for God's timing Mm -hmm. because you will hear how much she has learned and grown since we met with her the first time. And that's right. The wisdom that she has and that she shares with us is so valuable. If you are a note taker, you want to get a pen and paper out because she gives us an acronym of glory that you're going to want to remember. And I'm really excited because Mivy and her husband, John, were so gracious and um, agreed to be on Patreon this month for Story Within the Story. We talk with them just about how they both have walked through this diagnosis, how they've approached it differently. And where John is today, you don't want to miss it. If you are not a member of Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash STL community. Join today. And if you are a member, click that listen button when you get it in your email. You don't want to miss this story within the story. Here's Mivy. I feel like this is a long time coming. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I feel like I know so many of y'all and I appreciate y'all being here. I feel like... These are like fresh out of the dryer. (laughs) I couldn't find them this morning. And then I realized they were like in the dried, like the cooled off laundry basket of laundry. So they're like not just, anyway. Okay. I always laugh because like if I get nervous, I usually am sarcastic or I tend to talk really fast. So I apologize. Hopefully, you know, somewhat uh, audible. Okay. I um, moved to um, Birmingham when I was six years old. We moved from Chicago. I've lived here a majority of my life. And I went first grade through 12th to Vestavia. And then uh, graduated, went to Alabama, played basketball there my freshman year. And then I transferred and played, uh, went to Furman, played basketball there. And... I'm going to have to like fly through my story because I'm, I feel like I'm meant to tell what God has taught me through my story way more than my story. So I'm like going against the storyteller's mode. (laughs) Um, A lot happened in all those years, especially in the college years, but I met John, but did not marry him until 2008. We have four kiddos. We have twin 10 year olds, Lainey and Carly. And a nine-year-old Billy and a six-year-old Johnny. Lainey is named after best friend Lainey, who drove in from Nashville this morning to be here. Let's see. I had to write it down because I knew I'd forget. All right. So fast forward, uh, John and I have been married for 13 years. And June 28th. 2019. For about a month, he'd had like this weird tickle in his throat. He would have a hard time clearing his throat and he would just cough. He was never like sick. He was never out of energy necessarily. But one morning he, I guess it was his lunch break or something. He went and ran 
And he just told me, he was like, I just couldn't ever catch my breath. He was like, I was winded. But you know, when you like stop running and you're out of breath, everything kind of calms down. He just couldn't catch his breath. And then it regulated, but it took a really long time. And and he just kind of didn't think anything of it. And then right before we went, we always go to up to Ohio in the summers. And right before we went, he went and saw just for a physical, he went and saw Butch Roebuck, his general practitioner. Lindsay's here. And like physical looked fine. Blood work looked great. And then he was like, I just have like, it was like right before he left the appointment. And he was like, I just still have this weird tickle in my throat. I don't know what's going on. I have a hard time clearing my throat and it's just kind of all the time. And he was like, well, that's not right. Cause John's at the time was like healthy, 36 year old athletic big guy. And Butch like still tells us, he's like, I don't really know why I got a chest x-ray, but he just knew that he was like, this guy shouldn't be having a hard time breathing. So we did a chest x-ray and I think, uh, like a full chest, like cat scan. He knows better than me. Anyway. So we go up to Ohio, great trip, come back home. And so fast we're on June 28th. He goes to work. We, I take the kids to the pool that day. We come home from work and we go have, you know, cheap Mexican that night. And he is so washed out and he's like, I'm nauseous. I just don't feel good. And so I was like, you go to the car. I got the kids, no big deal. Get them settled. And he just doesn't look good. And it was just weird. I was like, did you eat something? You know, but, um, it was a Friday night and I start getting the kids to bed. I told him to go lay down and he starts coughing and he started coughing so hard. He couldn't talk. He started almost throwing up coughing so much. And normally I would not call Lindsay on a Friday night to be like, Hey, I don't know what's going on, but it was one of those like light bulbs. I'm like, this is an appropriate time to call in the favor because you have a friend. So I, I called her and I was like, something's wrong. He can barely even talk to me. He's having trouble breathing. So what I didn't know was that Butch pulled up his scans right there on his computer and looked at him. He was over at our house within 30 minutes to take John to the ER, which we thought he was just going to get a breathing treatment and like kind of calm everything down. So I wasn't really alarmed by that. You know, like we just thought maybe he's got a weird case of pneumonia. All right, I'm going to speed through a bunch of stuff. We found out that night, Butch, when he looked at those scans, that there were tumors all over his lungs. And he had to tell John, which is so, I just, that weight that, hey, you've got uh, some stuff going on in your lungs and it looks like cancer. And John and I were both like, okay, uh, all right, well, that can't be true, but all right, we'll go with it. And then we were in the hospital Saturday, Sunday, doing a bunch of tests. They did brain MRI they did another CAT scan on his chest and just a ton of tests because nothing lined up why this would be happening to this non-smoking, very healthy 36-year-old. And they kept finding tumors. And I was like, can we stop doing the scans and tests? Because it was in his spine, in his lymph nodes. It was in his brain. It was all in his lungs. So they did the, a biopsy and Monday night we're in the hospital and find out that it's lung cancer. And it's stage four and which, you know, Google our favorite friend. And I tried not to go there, but you can't help yourself. But it was less than a 5% chance of him living five years. But we're like, you know what? We're just going to 
do the next thing because maybe we're just reading this wrong. So we go and we're going to go to our first oncology appointment with John Petey. And still, I'm like, reality hasn't really sunk in yet. And so we go to that appointment and Dr. Petey was, I asked the question because they were talking about, you know, starting chemo and doing this immunotherapy and all this and really going hard at it. And all I could see was like our kids, like the last bit of their memories of John being this like weak waif of a man just washed out. I mean, y'all know that, what that looks like. And so I just asked him, I was like, if we do nothing, you know, we just go home and live our life. What does that look like? And they all, you know, look at me. I'm like, and he said he might make it six months. And I was like, okay. And he was like, but he's healthy. I think we can get like 18 to 24 months out of him. 18 to 24 months till we like start chemo. What are you talking about? And he was like, no, for him to live. And it was like, somebody just dumped this huge ice bucket on me of, oh my gosh. Like it was just the weirdest, most awful feeling of just no control. It was really scary. We went and sat in the car after that appointment and just sobbed. Like we just didn't, you know, where do we go from here? What do we do? And there's nothing in our control. And my heartbreaking for John being, I mean, his, one of his biggest worries was, you know, for our kids, I'm like, I can walk through anything. John can do this, but don't make my kids walk through this. You know, Johnny was three and it was like, he will only have memories of his daddy through pictures and videos. And that was just this overwhelming feeling. Anyway, all that to say, we waited like on this like whim of a hope of Dr. Petey was, there's this really rare genetic mutation that he has a very, very small chance of having. But he was like, I will say it would make sense though. It would make this whole thing make sense. But he really didn't want to give us false hope, which I appreciate. So we got an appointment with MD Anderson in Houston and really trying to see if there's anything else we can do, a you know, trial or anything, just to get more time. And that's really what I started praying for was it, if it's days, weeks, months, years, I want more healthy time with John. Because I think that was my, at the time, my biggest fear of just, we only had a week before he started this extremely high dose of chemo and it was just going to kick his butt. So... We're packing for MD Anderson. I'm packing my girls to go to Winnetoska. I'm packing like there's just a bunch of moving parts. The phone rings and it's John Petey. John goes out on the back porch and there's a genetic mutation that every time John's heart pumps, it, it pumps out these mutated genes. And if that is left alone, it forms tumors and they're automatically cancerous. And so now that that has formed and it, it could possibly, you know, if, if that's what it is, it would make sense. And so he comes in from the back porch with this look on his face. And I'm like, what? And, and he's like, I'm a freak. And I was like, uh-huh, like elaborate. And he was like, no, I'm t- mutated. And I was like, he, and I was like, okay. That didn't change anything. He was like, no, I don't have to do chemo. I don't have to do immunotherapy. We don't have like nothing. And I just, I mean, my prayer of more healthy time, it was so black and white of, I hear your prayer. 
it is answered. Looking back now, I wish I would have just said, could, you, could he just be healed? And I did pray for that, but not as fervently as I did for more time. And I was just so adamant about and specific about that. So John takes chemo every morning, and he has for two and a half years, and every night is extremely high dose of chemo, but it is in the pill form. It's a targeted, I think it's called like a TKI of a targeted treatment. So that was, he started his first dose in July 17th, I think. Four months later, he had PET scans and a brain MRI. And the tumor in his lung, like his right lung, is that right? No. Yeah, his right lung was about the size of a softball, plus about 10 other ones. And then the ones all down his spine, I think he had five or six lymph nodes recovered. And then he had two in his brain. November 12th, the scans came back. It was it was a very weird appointment because John Petey, he came in and, and he was like, the scans look good. He starts like flipping through and he had read the radiologist, like he had read the thing and he was like, no tumors in your lungs, no tumors in your spine, lymph nodes look good, no tumors in your brain. It was almost like, wait a minute, like, and John went in four months from he's going to die in about six months to he's in remission and there are no tumors and there's no evidence of disease. And it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster, uh, but he is where he is right now. The timeline of this cancer is still not awesome, but we went from a few months to years and, and the advances in lung cancer right now are so amazing and they're coming and they're pushing that timeline further and further back. Again, I always say those are somebody else's statistics, not my John, because he hasn't lived it yet. So all that to say, I feel like I tried to get through that really fast. I always go into way too many details, but I kept thinking to myself when Sarah Beth asked me, and I love you, you're precious. But when she asked me two years ago, I was like, I don't like this girl. Like, I just, (laughs) I'm like, who like I am in the pit of hell right now? What do you want? I, my story is still being written. Like this is my story, and I'm in the awfulness of it. And I was like, you people with your like happiness and storytellers. <laughs> I was like, that's all right. And I told her I was like, not now, but I knew that this was God's story to tell, and He was going to do a work through this. All right, so I started thinking about during those months or the first few weeks of like no control, everything had hit the fan. I promised that I wouldn't cuss, but it might happen. I'm nervous. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I was trying to think like what would have been applicable for me to listen to somebody or everybody is so precious sending Bible verses, quotes, all the things. And it's so awesome, but it doesn't change my situation. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't take the cancer away. It doesn't take that timeline, the grim awfulness, the the crap my kids are going to have to walk. It didn't take it away. And so it was like, I know what I'm supposed to be filling my head with. And I, I love my Jesus. And it wasn't that I didn't want to hear it, but that didn't help me in that moment physically like do anything. So I started writing things down. And I was like, what was actually tangible and like helpful? What would have been helpful? So I made an acronym. I do well with like takeaways. I never really struggled with the reason why this was happening because I knew it. Um, I remember my good friend, Lauren Beckner, who's spoken storytellers, 
was diagnosed with breast cancer and I struggled with that why of like, this is just the stupidest thing ever. Like Lauren and Jason are salt of the earth and I just was so mad. And I was like, yeah, I know it's for the glory of God. And like, they're going to spread the word, you know, in Jesus name, all those doctors. And like, I know why they're walking through this. But then when I was, I never struggled with that because I knew at the end of the day, God would be glorified through this story, through John's story, my story, through my kid's story. And I I might not get to see it on this side of heaven, but I know that he will. And I have seen it. But my word that I have that kept coming to mind was glory. God will get the glory. He is a selfish and just God. And He allows things to happen to us for his glory if he can see that he's going to be glorified through it. And so I have, what do you do basically when crap hits the fan? And like, it doesn't have to be a story like mine of like insanity, like crazy. It can be everyday stuff. Like, but what, what can you physically do when stuff is completely out of your control? So my first is G, get on your knees. And um, I just started praying all the time. Pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17. It was just started to be part of my everyday life. Like I just, when I was mad, I would say I was mad. When I was frustrated, I would tell him I was fr- He already knows it. And he does not, like that burden does not bother him. He, you know, he is, he calls us to, to tell him all the things. And it, to verbalize that was therapeutic for me. I do think my kids probably think I'm crazy. I mean, they already thought it was crazy, but like I would be pulling into our driveway, you know, talking to God, talking about I need patience and kindness and these kids are driving me crazy and I love them, but, and they're all like, who's she talking to? So I just, that was something tangible I could do to change and better my situation. And it helped. The L was let go and let the body of Christ work. Because this is one that was, it was extremely overwhelming. It was really hard. When John was first diagnosed, we had, we would have these powwows at Laura's house of what the week looked like. And I did not want to do a caring bridge. I didn't want to do a meal sign up. I didn't want to do, there were so many people offering to help and I didn't want the help because that made it a reality. Looking back now, I can see that. And I just remember Katie saying, because my phone would, I couldn't even see anything because so many precious people were checking in and wanted to know what was going on and what's the latest. And Katie was like, all right, you've got to do this, Caring Bridge. And she's bossy older sister and I did what I was told. But I did need that push of just like letting go and letting others carry that burden. And and that's what we're made for. Galatians 2, 6, carry each other's burdens. And in this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to carry one another's burdens. And when I finally let go and I, I let others help me, it was the presence of the Lord in my house was palpable. I mean, you could pull in my driveway. And I know that some of y'all remember my house just radiated Jesus because there was so much prayer covering it. And there were so many people. I mean, the casseroles, we had some, it was precious, but it was one of those, it was like, I mean, we had neighbors come in that basically organized our freezer to, because of the amount of food in my pantry, because there was, it was just so overwhelming. People going to the grocery store for me, coming home and my house was clean. I don't know who did it. And the prayer, which 
I've always been a big believer in prayer, but there was a sign-up genius for people to pray every 15 minutes for us around the clock. And I slept like a baby. And I know for a fact that was because I was covered in prayer. John was. And it was just so overwhelming. And I know that that's because it was from it was not of this world. We're going to the O. Open your heart to what God is teaching you. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I have I've always been a pretty positive person, but it's real easy to fall into that darkness of just being frustrated, being bitter, angry. And I kind of made a commitment to myself to find God in every situation. He is there, kind of whether we like it or not. And, and it's our choice to find him. I, I kind of... Um, I remember sitting in the waiting room for uh, John was having a PET scan. And it was one of those days where like my kids were off because there are all these people around and like their schedules were off because they were being tossed around to different people. John had, had gone back for the PET scan, which takes a while. And so I was just sitting in this random room by myself. And I had told myself, I'm like, God's here. He's somewhere. Find the good. Find the good. And I was like, all right. With your beige carpet, like what's there's nothing good about this situation in this situation right here. And then there was just this voice of find it. You can find it here. You will. And I just remember crossing, you know, crossing my arms and being like almost, you know, like a little kid and just being like, it's not here. And I was like, I like that pink color. <laughs> That's a really good pink color. I need that for my living room. And like, I was, I did, I was, it was one of those moments of like, all right, there you are. You're in the, you're in the pink color today. Like that's where you are in this moment. And looking for it and seeing my oldest Lainey taking care of her siblings and like, there's Jesus. And like looking for it and my friends and them, just how they are walking me through this and, and there's Jesus. And it's like making a point to find the good and Lainey and I, uh, We've, we've done some traveling together, but one time we were in Ireland, and I think you remember this, where we all of a sudden one morning randomly, this was before we had children, we were like, let's try not to complain. Let's see how long we can go without complaining, just to see where our mind was kind of. And I mean, I think we made it like an hour. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> but it was just weird how if your mind is set to find the good, you're going to change your attitude. You're going to change your situation. And it was one more thing that kind of was on my list of how can you control the situation that you can't control is changing your attitude and your focus, making yourself find Jesus in every situation. R is refuse to listen to the enemy. The statistics about this certain kind of cancer are awful. They're, they're really bad. And I found myself reading them often, like thinking they would change. And it was, I don't want to say all consuming. It got to be a matter of fact kind of thing with me. Like, okay, we're going to go about our lives. This is great that John has, is in remission, but the cancer is going to come back at some point and he is going to die. And I'm going to prepare for that. And that's fine. Like, I know that I'll survive, but that's what's going to happen. And we'll make it through. It'll be awful. But like, I knew that was what was going to happen because I like to be in control. So there are these people who are some of my 
favorite people, but they just kept telling me. I would say something like that to them and they'd be like, no, John's going to live a full healthy life. I believe it. And it wasn't that it hurt my feelings, but they would be like, no, John's healed in Jesus name. And I was like, okay, but come get in the grit with me. Marinate for a second. We're not going to stay here, but somebody validate me that this is just awful. And I did finally have a few people that are, that was, it was almost like, yeah, he might die and we're all here and we're going to be with you. And it was this validation of, I'm not alone, you know? Um, and I felt, and you know, when I beat myself up about not being, John's going to live a full, healthy life. John is healed. Refusing to listen to the enemy. And I kept thinking that it was almost, this is what, you know, science says. These are the numbers. And I kept this small voice being like, those aren't John's numbers. You know, those aren't, those are the statistics of somebody else. And I'm like, okay, but that's what's going to happen. And, and there was this, and I'm like, who's telling you that? And it was this voice of, this is the enemy. And he just wants you so bad to believe all those numbers. And then there's faith up here and jumping on this train of these people that were gung-ho for Jesus and just, you know, John's going to live until he's 98. And I was like, well, that's nice and fluffy up there. Like, I wish I could get on that train, but that's not reality. And I'm reality Rita over here. Like, I need my control. And it was fear and living in that fear I felt like I was managing and I was doing just fine walking through the motions and then there's faith. And it was not until this fall. Um, and I can't tell you what day it was, but I, I just remember sitting and being still one morning and just saying, I really wish I could, I could get on board with these people that believe that. And it was just this, you know, this feeling of, well, then just do it. It's a choice. And I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I truly believe that John is healed and he's going to live a long life with me and his babies and his grandbabies. And, and I'm very excited to see it and see what God teaches all of us through it. It was extremely hard and it is a hard choice that I try to make every day. But it's crazy how it hasn't been a struggle. It's come naturally and the freedom that I have every day to live life without that burden. It's been awesome. I do think that I personally, knowing my personality, I had to live here for two years and I had to see for myself the people that if that did happen would be there and walk us through and we would be okay. But that's not how we're called to live our life. We're not called to live a life of fear, but of faith. And I guess I just challenge y'all to jump on board. It's hard and it's not. Like, it's not. It didn't happen for me for a long time. But I feel like you can either live, be bitter through a situation or get better. And you can worry or you can worship. And for me... It took a long time to make that decision, and um, I'm glad to be there. All right, we're going to move on. Here we go. Um, all right, my why is you do you. Not everybody's situation looks the same. I feel like I compared myself to people that had walked through it uh, or walked through a really hard um, time, and 
they're praising Jesus and all their kids are looking perfect and never misses a a church service and they're the ones taking meals to people and it didn't look like that for me but that doesn't matter that wasn't where God had me at the time um I w- I had after John's diagnosis I I sat down with Emily Laster a couple of times and her husband passed away and I just kept asking her, I was like, there's this overwhelming feeling of, you know what you're supposed to do in a situation like this, of like run towards Jesus and like seek after him and, and he'll walk you through it. And I just feel like I am chasing him and it's exhausting. Like I cannot get to a point of comfort and there's this blanket of darkness and it is right behind me and it is so comforting and warm and comfortable. Why does it feel so good? Like, why is it right here and so enticing? And when I know where I'm supposed to be sprinting and she said, she was like, I heard this analogy one time and it helped me so much. And it really has helped me a ton. Just I'm such a visual person. But if you are constantly sprinting towards the sun, the darkness is always following you. And you're never going to catch the sun until you boldly turn into the darkness and walk through it. You're only going to get to the sun faster. And I know we're made to do hard things and we're made to walk through difficult things. But she said, welcome it, turn into it boldly and lean into that fear and the darkness and, and face it head on because you're made for this. And I did. I'm not saying it's perfect. Every day is crazy, but it is such a better place right now. I feel like there's a um, there's a reason, and I think that's what I struggled with the most is finding the reason why. But I knew why all along. I am such a visual person, so I really love the analogy, the imagery that that Mivy gave us with the darkness and the sun and. And, you know, one of the things that I really did love about her story at the end was the why and glory of you doing you. That, yes, I totally agree with her saying, turn around and and go into that darkness. But you do you. It's not a one size fits all Mm -hmm. kind of grieving system that we were built for. She says you were made for this. Yes, you were made for this because God is going to equip you to do it. So I just, I did, I love that imagery. I love the idea of, you know, we try to run away so often from grief (laughs) instead of turning around and walking through it and allowing ourselves to have a moment of, I'm going to bawl my eyes out, you know, about this because this is hard and I'm going to live in the fear for a little bit because then I'm going to get through to the other side. Mm -hmm. God's going to equip you to do it. I I feel like somebody out there needs to hear that. You're going to be equipped to do it and you will see the sun. And I I mean, I can raise my hand right here and say, been there, (laughs) done that. I am a good reframer. Mm. I have, you know, I take the hard stuff and I Pollyanna it. (laughs) I am like, well, let's just find the positive in everything. I join you in that. And thank goodness for my counselor that was like, you know what? Sometimes life just stinks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you don't Mm -hmm. embrace that, like Mibby was talking about, turn around Mm -hmm. and walk through and deal with the grief, you're never going to get to the other side. The popular phrase now of it's okay not to be okay. Right. I mean, yeah. to, to right. be able just to say, yeah, this is hard. Yes. Mivy's realness throughout the entire story, we had the privilege of being in person mm-hmm. with her. So so we got to see her countenance and everything, but you can hear it. 
just how real she wants to be. I mean, when she said that John was so positive and that she said, hey, I'm down here. I'm stuck in the fear. Can you get (laughs) down here in the fear with me? I mean, just as a woman, I related to that so much. And I know in the story within the story that you've done, Katie, you're going to talk about their marriage and how they really approached it together, the circumstance when you're not exactly on the same page. You're both believers. Um, And then also just looking for the good when she said, okay, God, I found you in the paint color today. (laughs) Because there are some days when you don't see good. And right. you can only rely on his Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to show you just the mm-hmm. smallest things. I mean, but, but wasn't that beautiful that he showed up in the paint color? Yes, like, I, that yeah. small little detail. Yeah. She found him right yeah. there. But just, you know, it was a reminder to me to be real with other people. Like you're saying, Robin, just when you're hurting, mm-hmm. say you're hurting. There's so much freedom in so much of her story mm-hmm. because we're listening where a year and a half, two years ago, when we originally met with her about sharing, She was on the beginning of the journey and you heard her talk about being scared, being fearful, not wanting to bother her when people said they were praying for his healing. Right. I'm so thankful she can say that out loud. Exactly. Because some of you listening may feel the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And she ended saying, I'm now one of those weird people that says, I believe that he (laughs) is healed. And you know, it Mm -hmm. is a journey and you can live in both places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like through her story, we just got the freedom all over the freedom to believe in healing, the to freedom struggle. to struggle in right. that. The you do you, you and you uh-huh. grieve, you know, she she just tied it up so well. And so we are so thankful for Mivy and her story and how it's speaking to you today. Our prayer is that if there is an area where you're struggling, that God would meet yes. you in that today with with a bit of encouragement. We're going to put the glory anachronism mm-hmm. on Instagram. So if you didn't have a pen and paper... You can go back to our Instagram account at Storytellers Live Podcast and find it and save it because I'm pretty sure we'll all want to reference that. Absolutely. So thanks for listening and have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.